0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and thank you once again for the privilege of gathering together in your name. We ask that you would be with us as we examine your word, that you would encourage and teach us from it. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Here, there we go. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and... uh, It is so difficult as we are endeavoring in this process, I'd I'd just like to stop and uh, uh, kind of graze at different places through scripture and and because of so many things, questions that people bring up and issues of of great importance are touched on here in these opening chapters and verses of the gospel message and... uh, it is amazing uh, how simple things could be if you just follow the Bible. Um, and now, that I know that is a radical thought to you, uh, that one would just follow the Bible, uh, yet that's what everybody says they do. But if I could uh, pick from a ready illustration, one that we've all How many of you endeavored to try to follow the Bible this past week? Raise your hand. If you've endeavored, if you've actually thought about it, I want to follow the Bible. How many of you failed in your endeavors? Okay, all the hands go back up again. I mean, we... And we don't use this as an excuse to just go out and sin. Now, that's not what the Bible is about. Nor... Do we want to lower God's standard? That struggle that is there is what real Christianity is all about. Amen? And we will be involved in that struggle until we get to heaven. And people like to argue about all kinds of things. They fought wars over baptism, and and we spent way too much time last week on that but uh, I like to give uh, uh, as full a picture as we possibly can. We have uh, John the Baptist here and he is answering uh, questions and we we see so many things put together. Uh, let's just start in verse seven of Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generations of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children "...unto Abraham, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees, and therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is shewn down, and cast into the fire." Now, what a uh, uh, reception. The religious leaders, the scribes, they were the ones who were in charge of copying the scrolls of God's word, Uh, that were kept there in the temple and, in turn, in the synagogues, if you wanted uh, a copy of the Bible to have for yourself. And, of course, uh, no individual other than the king, uh, and, of course, Herod didn't care about the Bible at this time, uh, would have an entire copy of the scriptures in their home. Uh, We've often illustrated the point, the, the scrolls of Isaiah, There were, just the book of Isaiah would be anywhere from two, usually three scrolls. They would be about five foot high and each scroll over 40 foot long and weigh over 100 pounds apiece. Now that's just the book of Isaiah. And so the scriptures were kept in the synagogues, they were kept in the temple. The scribes were the ones that were responsible for copying these things. They were the familiars with the scripture. If you wanted to know what the Bible said, you asked the scribes. The Pharisees—how uh, shall we describe the Pharisees? Um, If you've studied your Bible, if you've read through the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel accounts, you get a very negative perception of the Pharisees, and rightfully so. But you need to understand something. They lived in a day where the average person had little regard for the word of God in their daily life. Do you know who made people care about the word of God in their daily life? The Pharisees. They were the enforcers. They were the guys that would show up at the synagogue. And if you weren't wearing the ribbon of blue that the law said should be banded about the hem of your garment, guess who told you about it? Uh, if you misquoted a Bible verse, guess who was there to straighten you out? Uh, If you were doing something wrong, guess who was there to tell you about it? The Pharisees were. The problem with the Pharisees was not in their zeal for the word of God. It was the reason for their zeal. They believed that they were saved because of how earnestly they cared about the word of God. Now, the only problem was there was only one thing the Pharisee loved more than the Bible. That was the traditions of the elders. See, by this time, they had a commentary on the Bible called the Mishnah. And then they had a commentary on the commentary. That was the Talmud. Now, the Old Testament you hold in your hand, the Mishnah, the commentary on the Old Testament, would fill a small, uh, would fill an office. would be more uh, would be about size of my library, not size of Peter's. But uh, I mean, it was it was quite a large collection of books. But the Talmud was ten times that size. And they were, the Pharisees were concerned about everything. But they believed that their righteousness was established by their own rules. How many of you have ever been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania area? Beautiful, beautiful country. You know, one of the things I love about Lancaster is once you get out in the country, there's no telephone poles. You know why? Because a lot of the old farms still don't use electricity. Because the Amish people believe that righteousness should be how men and women lived and dressed circa 1820. And you find another group of people and they'll say, well, no, righteousness should be 1920. 1920. And another group says, well, let's let's really go back. Let's go back to 600 A.D. And uh, we'll put on headscarves and all of those things. And that's the standard of righteousness. You know what? God's standard of righteousness is not set by any people group in any time period. It's set by the words of God. And that's where the scribes and the Pharisees made their mistake. And this John the Baptist came on the scene. And as we ended last Thursday night, we ended with, with an often misunderstood truth. If you read the major commentaries and all these things, they'll say, well, John took the Old Testament traditional washing and turned it into baptism." Now, we don't have time to chase every verse through the Bible and through the Mishnah and the Talmuds, but let me just give you a simple overview. When the leper, Leviticus, had to be cleansed, he had to take several baths as part of the cleansing ritual. Who gave the leper the bath? The leper did. He would be sprinkled with certain water during the the sacrifices that were offered, but the the baths and the the shaving and the different things that were all there that a leper had to go through to be cleansed, he did to himself. Baptism. Do you do that to yourself? Uh Uh-uh. In fact, we'll see that Jesus walked over 60 miles to find John to have John baptize him. There's a difference between you doing something to yourself in order to fulfill what the Bible says and having to go to an authority. And by the way, baptism is not a bath. You do not wash away your sins with baptism. John's going to explain that in a minute. We we just breezed over that very quickly. And as John met these Pharisees, these religious leaders, I mean, he rails them, calls them snakes. He says, I wish you guys were afraid enough of God that you were fleeing from his wrath. That's what he meant by who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. You're, you're, what he was actually saying was you're so full of nonsense that you're not even afraid of God's wrath that is upon you for your disobedience to the word of God. And then he follows that up by saying, you think you're saved because you're of the seed of Abraham. Let me explain something to you, he says. If God wanted to, he could take a stone and turn it into a son of Abraham. Now, what John was using was what we call hyperbole. How many people remember the... uh, uh, Well, I won't go there, but if you ever took geometry, you'll remember the uh, parabolas and all of those things. But hyperbole is a literary term. It means a gross exaggeration it means something that is just beyond reason to illustrate the point but what john is is saying is if god were desperate enough to find the children of abraham he would turn rocks into the sons of abraham before he would call you by that name because of your disobedience to god's word john could not have been More offensive. Now, I don't believe in being unnecessarily offensive, but the gospel is an offensive message. How many of you remember what happened in your soul and in your mind and in your spirit as you finally understood what the term sinner meant and how it applied to you. How many of you remember that? That cannot be unoffensive because you must turn away from who and what you are to embrace who Jesus is. You cannot keep what you are and Jesus at the same time. They are incongruent. They are exact opposites. They are the antithesis, one of another, which is the great problem of modern religion and why we stand so critical of books like The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church and things like this is because they offer a faith in Jesus that allows you to embrace what you are and who Jesus is at the same time. That's not possible. That's what the word repentance means. It means turning. It means change of direction. And so John is not trying to be just rude and crude for the sake of being rude and crude unfortunately i've I've met a few preachers like that over the years. If they loved the Lord, they got over it. If they loved what people looked like when they were rude and crude and the result- and the response that they got, well, they just kept right at it uh It's what people do all the time, isn't it? You ever met anybody that just wanted to tried to shock you, uh, wanted to try to make you feel uncomfortable uh, because they felt that when they could do that, they had some kind of power over you or, or power in the situation. Uh, that wasn't John. John really was trying to get through the thick shell of the Pharisees' belief in self to kind of shake up their world, so that they would have an opportunity to repent. Now he's going to explain his baptism here, and if you've been baptized in this church, you've gone through this. If you went through our discipleship lesson, you've been through this again. Uh, if you've been around in in our services uh, from time to time, I'll take time and go through these verses because. They explain everything you need to know about baptism, what it truly is, and what it truly is not. And this is John the Baptist speaking, and let's just look at these two verses here, verse one, uh, verse 11 of Matthew chapter three, "I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost." and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, John, in these two verses, uh, dispels most major religion of our day. He says, I baptize you, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Now, we've asked this question before, and we'll just ask it again. Are you more repentant because you get wet? Well, no. But John came baptizing, giving a physical ceremony that you could participate in to give testimony that in your being, in your heart, you had come to a decision of repentance. Baptism was always a public testimony of what had already incurred in your heart. That's why I said, I baptize you with water unto repentance. If you're really repentant, you will get baptized. Can you get baptized and not be repentant? Well, yeah. How many people go through the motions? But can you be truly repentant and not be baptized? No. Because if you're truly repentant in your heart, you're going to give the outward testimony. By the way, the baptistry is back here for those who don't know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) When we get the new pulpit in, you'll be able to see it from there. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, John says, I baptize you with water unto repentance. If you're repentant on the inside, you're going to be baptized with water to give a testimony on the outside. Then there's a but there. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Now, this gives a testimony to the person of Jesus Christ. He says, He is mightier than I. In uh, one of the other parallel passages, and you can look this up, he says, He was preferred, uh, He is preferred above me before He was before me. Human wise, John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus Christ. But Jesus is the ever-living creator. Before the world began, he already was. And this is what John was giving testimony to. He says, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. Now you have to understand a little bit about the culture in those days. The shoes were normally bound on your feet. How would you like to uh, permanently attach your shoes? Now, you had to take them off at certain times, uh, but they did not have Velcro and shoelaces and all the wonderful things that we have today. I mean, when you put your shoes on, you, you put them on. I mean, they were, they were attached. And the roads were made out of dust, dirt. Hard-packed earth, I'll tell you what. How many of you have ever been hiking in the wilderness for any period of time? I mean, not just 100 yards. I mean, We're talking about a couple of miles here. Uh, I'll tell you what, you wear out shoes incredibly fast when you go hiking in a wilderness setting. Now, they had to make some shoes that would travel. Uh, We think of Jesus wearing flip-flops. That really was not the case. The lowest servant's job was to wash feet. Jesus would illustrate that before the end of his ministry by performing that duty for his disciples. But John was given a testimony here. He says, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. But he's going to baptize you two ways. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, if you turn on TVN, you will hear preacher after preacher talking about, you need to be baptized twice with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But I want to challenge you to read what your Bible says. It says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then Jesus, uh, John actually explains what these two baptisms are and how they work in verse 12. He paints a picture that every living person in John's hearing would completely understand. He said, whose fan is in his hand? Now, if you lived in Jesus' day, you would or John the Baptist, if you were standing there, you would immediately not think of those wire cages with rotating blades that cool you when it's not too hot for the air conditioning. I mean, that's what we think of a fan, right? And some of you may have the old picture in the old churches. They had those little fans that the ladies always waved and... Um, No, the fan was part of the threshing process. This was used to separate the chaff, the wrappings, from the wheat, the kernels. They would take the the grain that was there, let's just pick wheat. Uh, They would cut the, mow the wheat with a sickle and gather it up and tie it into bundles. They would then bring it to the threshing floor, and they would cut the heads off of the wheat. Now, the head of the wheat, sometimes that long, uh, differing lengths, and it would have uh, uh, several kernels of wheat, uh, each wrapped in several layers of chaff to protect it from the insects and other things as it grew. The heads would all be put there on a large stone that had been prepared for this process. They would then drag rakes over it and roll those heads of wheat until they broke apart and the kernels would begin to roll out of the chaff. The fan was used for the next step. They would create a breeze with the fan. They would then sh- uh, take a, like a shovel and throw the mixture of the kernels and the husk into the air. The fan would take the chaff, which was weightless, and blow it to the end of the threshing floor. That's why it says, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge or clean the floor. How many of you have ever bitten into a nice piece of bread and found something there that didn't belong there? Little piece of husk. If you ever, uh, that's how you know it's when they talk about stone ground wheat. If you don't find something that doesn't belong there, a little stalk, a little bit of chaff or something, it's not really stone ground. I mean, it's got all the good stuff in there. Well, what they did to keep this from happening is they purged the threshing floor, then they would have a heap of wheat in the center. Now, what does the rest of the verse say? it says that he will gather the wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, what is John doing? He's explaining the two baptisms. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, wheat into the garner. The baptism of fire, burning up the chaff, or the worthless part of the harvest, And it uses the term unquenchable fire. Anytime in your Bible you see unquenchable fire, you're not talking about God's blessings. You're talking about God's eternal judgment. Now, the word baptize means to be put into, to be immersed in, to be... Covered with. See, the most wonderful thing about being baptized with the Holy Ghost is you never need to come up for air. Amen? It is an eternal baptism. It is what Jesus and the Bible is referring to. I give unto them eternal life. Why? Because they are now in The Spirit of God. How are you baptized into the body of Christ? It is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The writer of Ephesians says, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of God's judgment. This is the work that God does the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, there is a place in the Scripture where you can be baptized with fire. How many people know what I'm talking about already? It's called the lake of fire. It is the final resting place for unsaved souls. And it, just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is an eternal baptism. You will be in the fires of God's judgment. Read the book of Revelation. We just went through that a few... um, finished the book of Revelation a few months ago. And the fire of their torment ascendeth forever and ever. You know, John just completely messes up the key component to most major religions, which is uh, baptism of babies. Because babies can't repent. Babies can't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever wonder where this thing of godparents came from? Well, just a little history here. Hope you don't mind me chasing some rabbits here. But I, is people knew what the Bible said. And they understood that no way could a baby give testimony of salvation. But they misconnected the baptism of the Spirit with water. And they begin to think about this. You see, man always gets into trouble when he thinks. You know, if we baptize people and it takes away their sin, then we ought to baptize as many people as we possibly can as early as we possibly can. Does that make reasonable sense to you? The only problem is, as a human being, you can't take away somebody else's sin. Only God can do that. That's why you must be baptized with the Holy Ghost. But nobody saw that happen. How many of you have ever had the privilege of leading someone else to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you see some miraculous thing happen did some beam of light come out of heaven and strike them in the head? Or, uh, no. How do you know a person is saved? Uh, because they gave testimony of obedience to the Word of God. That's the only way you can know. How can you know that you were saved? Because you obeyed the Word of God. Amen? And so when you obey the word of God, you get baptized with the Holy Ghost. And guess what? You are protected forever from the baptism of fire. You choose not to be baptized by the Holy Ghost, not to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be reserved unto the day of God's judgment, the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, where you will then be bound hand and foot and cast into the lake of fire where the devil and the false prophet, the beast and the false prophet already are. The devil will be there. That is the final resting place. So much theology. Theology has been developed by the reasoning of man because he just refuses to pay attention to the clear teaching of a few passages of Scripture. You say, well, then where does water baptism come in? Well, very simply, John already explained that. You see, when you repent on the inside... Stop believing in yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop believing in your good works and in the church and in what other people can do for you and turn around and put your faith only in the Lord Jesus Christ. You get saved. There's a physical ceremony that God has given us whereby you can give public testimony of the spiritual work that Jesus Christ has already done in your heart and in your soul. It's called baptism with water and we'll jump a little bit ahead but all of Jesus' first disciples were baptized by John did Jesus re-baptize them absolutely not because John's baptism is exactly the same as church baptism only one difference with John you are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and identification with his person. In the local church, you're looking backward to the finished work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and identification with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the local assembly of his body, which is the local church. And this is what John was teaching. He gave this testimony of who Jesus is. Now, let's look at verses 13 through 17 of Matthew. And we've not read Mark and Luke and John. I I trust you'll take time to read, read those on your own. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's how simple Jesus' baptism was. John did not know who Jesus was, even though they were cousins, until he baptized him. After he baptized him, Well, here it says he came and John said, I want you to baptize me. He said, I want that baptism of the Holy Spirit that I've already talked about. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so now. You need to baptize me so we can fulfill all righteousness. That's why baptism is important. If you're going to be obedient to God, you must follow the example of Jesus Christ and be baptized by the authority that God has sent. John chapter 1, verse 6, we've already been over that. There was a man sent from whom? God, whose name was John. So we don't have to worry about John's credentials, amen? Can't get any better than that. Well, where do we find out whether a church has proper authority to baptize? Well, you would talk to some, and they would get out a genealogy chart and say, "You see, Open Door Bible Baptist Church was established out of the Cleveland Baptist Church of Cleveland, Ohio, which was established out of the Akron Baptist Temple of Akron, Ohio, which was established out of the, uh, uh, which was established out of, which is established out of John the Baptist." Even if I could produce such a document, how many of you would believe its truthfulness? You say, that's pretty impressive. Actually, there was a church in the 1920s that attempted to do that very thing. And and they did a fair job, better than I've seen anywhere else under any other circumstances. The only problem was there were several periods of time that were basically unaccounted for. Uh, So-and-so was sent out of a church here In 961 A.D., the only problem was that church was established in 400 A.D. Now, that's a long gap of time. We've seen churches go corrupt. I've seen churches go bad in my lifetime, let alone 500 years. You see... The Bible tells us to avoid vain genealogies which do gender strife. Here's where the authority comes from. You see, I can look up in the history books and find out that there really was an Aaron Arlington who lived 961 A.D. in Piedmont, uh, which is modern-day France. Uh, We can document those things from history. But how to get from 961 to 1961 is a little difficult. But let me ask you a question. If what I can read that he believed in 961 is what I believe in 2013, could I let the intermittent gap that lies between us in the hands and in the authority of Almighty God? Uh, I think that's a safe way to do it. Uh, In fact, a fellow named Armitage, who was a Baptist preacher in the Albany area, uh, gave this illustration. How many of you have ever drank from a spring? Uh, A fresh spring just burbling up out of the ground. I'll tell you what, they're beautiful things. As long as you keep a good lid on them and things out of them, that's the best water in the world. Uh, Some of you will know I had to put a new roof on my mother's spring. Uh, in central Pennsylvania. Now, we know where the water comes from the spring. The snow melts on the top of the mountain and filters down through the rocks, and as it builds up underground, it builds in a pocket that finally pushes it through the ground, and you have a spring. But if I get my shovel out, and try to trace the physical origin of that spring, the only thing I'm going to accomplish is the corruption of the spring. I will trust that since the water is pure on top of the mountain, and that I can get out my tester and find out that it's pure in the bottom of the mountain, I'll let God handle the distance in between. Now, that's why we identify ourselves as a Baptist church today. We baptize the same way that John did. As I said before, the only difference is our focus is on the finished work of Christ, not on his announcement and the beginning of his earthly ministry. We use the Bible not as a proof text to say, See there? John baptized, we baptized, that makes us in agreement. No. We we rightly admit, we copy what John did. That's why we preach in our churches, because that's what the Bible says to do. And we want to understand that God has given us this thing called baptism, as Jesus said, Jesus went to John and submitted to his baptism and John said, but wait a minute, I want this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing and Jesus said, you don't understand. We've got to accomplish some things before that happens. But until that time, you need to baptize me so that I can be announced in my public ministry. See, Jesus didn't need to be saved. But he did not begin his public ministry until he had given testimony of who he was and how he chose to do that was baptism. Jesus as God, honestly, I mean, if I put human reason, he should have baptized himself, should not. I mean, John was not, even though he was a great prophet, he was still a man, he was still capable of sin, and the Bible says, for all have sinned. Uh, It it says that John was actually, had the Holy Spirit of God living inside of him from his mother's womb. So, I mean, he may have been the exception to that rule. He was different. But still, he was not to be worshipped. He was a man. He came to announce Jesus. And if you're serious... About your relationship with God, first of all, you got to get saved. You got to surrender to God. You got to repent of your sin and your ability. Then you ought to find a church that preaches the Bible and get baptized. And you know what? Many very sincere people have been baptized in churches, places they called themselves churches that didn't teach all the Bible. And so what do we do? We say, listen, the authority is in the Word of God. And if this church does not teach the Bible correctly, therefore it loses its authority to baptize. Or maybe it never had it. I remember calling up a Baptist church and the pastor answered the phone and I said, We've got someone who says they're a member of your church and uh, says they were baptized there. And I said, I'd just like to understand uh, what your church teaches about baptism. He said, that's real simple, brother. As long as you got wet, we call it baptism. I said, uh, well, that's all I need to know. Thank you very much, brother. And he was that emphatic on the phone and And uh, probably because he knew where I was going with my questioning and he didn't like it. And so I went back to this person and I said, "Uh, is that what you believe? She said, no, pastor, that's not what the Bible teaches. I said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to be baptized here in agreement with the doctrinal position of our church. You see, the word anabaptism, In the Middle Ages, they were known as the people who were against baptism. That's the word, Anna, means no. Uh, And what the prefix, actually. And uh, so these people said, if you weren't baptized under a biblical authority, it's not baptism. Well, those that did that original baptism as babies and in churches that taught false doctrine... They got a little upset, and and they fought wars, both Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox and the Mohammedans. All of them fought against these people. And by the way, not all Anabaptists were good Bible-believing Christians either. Uh, Some of them believed some truths and rejected other truths, and, and it's really hard to understand the whole history but Jesus went to John and submitted to his baptism. I've got a responsibility before God to find a church that just teaches the Bible and submit to baptism at that church and serve God through it. Now, that makes a lot of people upset. But again, are we going to follow the word Or are we going to try to do it our way? That was the Pharisees' problem. They had by their traditions and their own ideas and their thought processes about the word negated many of the simple and most profound teachings about the Bible. And we'll get through there to that as we go through the Gospels as Jesus is going to expose these things. They had a whole system when it came to telling the truth. You see, if you swore by the temple, that really didn't mean anything. But if you met a Jewish man, and he said, I swear by the temple in Jerusalem that this car was only owned by one little old lady who drove it back and forth to church on Sunday, it only has 20,000 original miles, even though it's 10 years old and it's in beautiful shape, He could sell you a car that had 200,000 miles on it and never think a thought because he wasn't swearing by the gold that was in the temple. You see, if he swore by the gold that was in the temple, then he had to tell you the truth. That's what human reasoning does to the word of God. And Jesus is going to expose that and many other things just like that. And yet, we have the same thing going on today, do we not? I always get nervous when somebody calls me up and says, Well, listen, I, I'm a preacher like you are, and, and I want to sell you such and such a thing. And You know what? If I were selling anything, I just want, I'd want somebody to buy it because it was a good product. Not because I was a preacher and they trusted me on what I said about such thing. You see, we don't use God to prove us. It's the other way around. We get out the Bible, and guess what? We all fall short, do we not? But we go back where we started. It's that process of striving to be obedient to the Word of God. And by the way, if you can't be obedient about baptism or won't be obedient about baptism, let me just warn you, there's going to be an awful lot else you won't want to be obedient about either. It's a point of surrender. And... What I've found is people who want to serve God said, preacher, I don't understand it all the way like you do. Uh, it kind of makes sense. It's kind I've never heard this before, but I'll tell you what, if that's what I need to be here, then I'm going to get baptized. You know what? That shows me a humble spirit of somebody who wants to be as biblical as they possibly can. When somebody says, well, my uncle was a fill-in-the-blank, kind of preacher, and I know that they don't agree with you, but he baptized me, and that better be good enough. Oh, well, I'm sorry, it's not. Because if the church and the organization disagrees with the Word of God, then we do not recognize that as Bible baptism. Because it's no longer Bible. You said, well, you set yourself up as a judge. no. We try to set the word of God up as a judge. And it's very simple. How many ways of salvation are in the scripture? One. How many ways of baptism are in the scripture? One. How many ways of organizing a church are in the scripture? Only one. Each individual church responsible directly to God for what goes on in their church. No denominational hierarchy. You won't find a denominational hierarchy anywhere in the scriptures. No popes, no bishops. You say, but the word bishops in the Bible. Yeah, it is. It means pastor. It's the pastor that is in charge of the church. The church in Jerusalem had 12,000 members at least. Now, I wish our church were bigger, but... There's a part of me that's kind of glad that it's right where it is because we can handle the administration part of it. I'm not an administrator. I don't want to be. I just want to be a pastor. There are other pastors who handle that beautifully. And I just take my hat off and go, wow. Different churches, different callings. Amen. But what we want to do is serve the Lord. And so uh, we got through another three points in our outline here. Um, but we we will keep moving. And eventually we'll get all the way through all four Gospels. I'm not going to tell you when we're going to finish. Uh, maybe in 18, 20 months, something like that. I, I think that's a fair guesstimate. But what we want to do is look at the story of the Scripture and as much as is humanly possible, emulate or live that truth in our church and in our individual lives. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that would not be tedious, but would be thorough in the teaching of your word, Lord, that we would see and understand how simple the word of God is when we just take it a word at a time. Lord, I pray that those that have followed you, In biblical salvation and baptism would rejoice in the knowledge that they're just simply following the word of God. Lord, I pray for those that may be among us that have not uh, yet done those things. Maybe they're not saved. Baptism is meaningless without salvation to precede it. Lord, that they would be willing to follow your word. And the Lord, together, you would cause us to strive that we as a church may be as obedient to your word as is humanly possible, that we may be truly the body of Christ to reach this area and beyond into the uttermost part of the earth with your gospel message. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And let's just keep our heads bowed. We'll just have...